This is a HeadGum Podcast. Support for the Black Girl Nerds Podcast comes from Apps Without Code, a Detroit-based startup helping non-technical entrepreneurs build their own apps and launch their own startups all without writing a single line of code. Apps Without Code is run by my girl Tara Reed, who's made hundreds of thousands of dollars from apps she built all by herself. Look, y'all, she's not even a developer. If you've got a killer idea but you don't know how to code, just text TOOLKIT1 to 44222, and Tara will send you an awesome free toolkit with everything you need to get started. Grab that free toolkit before someone else steals your idea. You know how folks are out here in these digital streets? Just text toolkit1 to 44222. If you thought you had to be a programmer to be successful in tech, that is hands down a bunch of BS. Text toolkit1 to 44222 and get in on this. Now, excuse me, I've got to get started on my own app idea. Peace, y'all. What's up? This is Akil, the MC from the Jurassic Five, and you are now tuned in to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Yeah, I like nerdy girls. My name is Idris Elba, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Reggae Jean Page. I play Chicken George in Roots, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Sam Benjamin star, writer, and producer of superhero web series The Few, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hi, this is Anika Noni Rose, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Yeah, so this is Tahir Jeter, writer, director, and producer of How to Tell Your Douchebag. I am very happy to have taken part on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. tuning in to episode 89 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Fish Mooney, I'm Judging You, and Daredevil. Three segments. In our first segment, we invite Jada Pinkett Smith, 
That's right. Jada Pinkett Smith is appearing back on Gotham this season as Fish Mooney. Fish Mooney, as you know, we thought was no longer, but her character has been resurrected. And she has a one-on-one with Karan about her role on the Fox series, as well as some new projects that she has under her belt. And she drops some special gems of black girl magic and gives some great advice about how to be your authentic self. In our second segment, we invite Lovey. Lovey, you know her best from her award-winning blog, Awesomely Lovey. And she's actually back on our podcast. She was a guest about a few months back. And she's actually returning back on our show to talk about her new book called I'm Judging You. If you remember several episodes back when we had her on the show, she had dropped the exclusive about doing this book. And we're so happy that she's come back to give us some more insight about what inspired her to write it, some details behind some of those pages of the book, and also gives us some one-on-one advice about how to be a social media superstar. That interview is hosted by KB. In our third segment... We head over to Dragon Con. If you have not been following the Twitter feed already, as well as the posts on our website, there's tons of Dragon Con coverage. And we have more additional coverage to give you, including this third segment with actor Charlie Cox. Charlie plays the role of Matt Murdock, also known as Daredevil, in the Netflix series show. And this is right on time because coming up in a couple of weeks, we've got Luke Cage coming. So his fellow Defender will have his own series to drop shortly. And in this segment, Charlie talks about his process as an actor. He talks about the role of Daredevil and how that's been very challenging. And also some very interesting notes about his challenges of playing a character who can't see, also with an American accent, because we got to remember Charlie's English, and also just how to be able to handle all of those really intense action scenes. So this is a panel recording that was done live at Dragon Con. So that is our show. Thank you so much for talking about our show on Twitter. And thanks for including the Twitter handles of the guests on the show. I'm sure that they love to hear and see the feedback as much as we do here at Black Girl Nerds. Use the hashtag BGM podcast that puts you in the feed with other listeners. Let them know your thoughts, share them, converse amongst each other. And one more thing, and this is something I've noticed on Twitter, when you're referencing the podcast, I really love the fact that you give me feedback. That's always appreciated. You at me at Black Girl Nerds. But don't forget, there is a separate Twitter account just for the podcast. It's called at BGN Podcast. So at symbol BGN Podcast, that is our Twitter account. So follow it if you haven't done so already. Tweet to that account. You can have them check out that handle. And we're also streaming on several different networks. We're on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, and we are on Spreaker. Spreaker is a new network that we have just partnered with. We're now with HeadGum. And please, 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 if you are a HeadGum listener, if you're a Spreaker listener, subscribe, follow, share that. Tell every other person that you know that listens to Spreaker to check out our podcast. And again, if it wasn't for you guys... We wouldn't be having a show. So thank you all to your continued support, following the Twitter account, retweeting our tweets, reading our blogs, coming to our meetups and showing up. You know, it's kind of hard to have a meetup and nobody show up. So showing up at our meetups 
and also showing your financial support, whether you support us on Patreon, whether you send private donations via PayPal, or whether you purchase merchandise in our store. We just love the support, and thank you so much. There's not enough words, there's not enough thank yous in the world uh, towards all of the support of BGN. And thank you to everybody that's involved with BGN. I feel like this is a very thank you moment right now, so I'm going to get this out of the way. Um, But thank you to our podcasters, uh, so many of us that work so hard and diligently to get this together. Thank you to our podcast editors. Uh, Thank you to our contributors at BGN, our editors that uh, copy edit and help run those articles on the website on a daily basis. Thanks to you too. Thank you to our social media content curators on the Black Girl Geeks account, on the BGN podcast account. Thank you to our YouTube vloggers out there, the graphic designers that put those together, our producer for YouTube. So many people are a part of this big machine that is BGN that keeps it going. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think I'll just do a whole show about thank yous. I think that's what I'm going to plan to do in the near future. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. I think you definitely will enjoy it. I shouldn't even have to tell you anymore to enjoy it. You will enjoy it. So it's BGN 89. Fish Mooney, I'm judging you, and Daredevil. Jada Pinkett Smith is an actress, dancer, singer, songwriter, and a businesswoman. She started off her career back in the 1990s with films such as The Nutty Professor, Set It Off. She was also on TV shows such as A Different World. And later on in the 2000s, she was in The Matrix films and the TV show that I personally love that was short-lived, Hawthorne. Well, she is back on television yet again in the Fox TV show called Gotham. She plays the role of Fish Mooney. Fish Mooney is actually a fictional character that was created specifically for the show Gotham, and Gotham is based off of the DC Comics universe. Same universe that Batman is in, same universe that the Suicide Squad is in, Justice League. Take a listen. This is a great interview with Karan and Jada Pinkett Smith about Fish Mooney, Gotham, and a little bit of Black Girl Magic. Hey guys, this is Karan for the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Jada Pinkett Smith is everything, honey. An artist, a businesswoman, a producer, an activist, a mother, a wife, and a sister friend to many. We know her. We love her. She is back and badder than ever in season three of Gotham, premiering September 19th on Fox. Jada, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you, especially because we both share something in common. We both have very deep roots in our hometown of Baltimore. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So what does it feel like to be back on Gotham? Um, it feels great. You know, um, I missed Fish Mooney. So when I was asked to return for season three, I was really excited. And, um, you know, of course, when they came to me for the end of season two to tell me how they wanted to resurrect Fish Mooney, I just thought it was absolutely awesome. <laughs> so um, I, I have a really good time on that show. I mean, because, you know, Fish Mooney is something really outside of anything I've I've ever done before. So it's it's just a lot of fun for me. Fish is quite the departure from what we're used to seeing from you, but it is such a welcome departure because you work Fish Mooney. 
Thank you. Yeah, you work fish money. She's something, yeah, she's something else. <laughs> <laughs> she works me, too. <laughs> she works you, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But What's yeah, your she, favorite part about playing her? I think just being able to dance with my shadow, in all honesty, mm. you know, because fish is just, you know, fish is going to have it her way by any means necessary, and... You know, she, she's connected to some other energies, you know, in regards to how she operates versus how Jada operates. Mm-hmm. So I really do get to kind of dance with those more vicious, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, she's a, she's a, she's a dirty fighter, you know, and, um, you know, so it's just fun being able to, you know, dance in those areas a little bit and, and in a fun way, you know, and creatively. Uh, to be able to dance with your shadow. So it's really fun for me in that way. You get to say a lot of things and think a lot of things that Jada just cannot. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> now, Fish wasn't a character that was in the original comic. So can you explain to people who may not be aware, who is Fish Mooney? You know, Fish Mooney is, you know, she's she's probably like the only female gangster right now in in Gotham and no she wasn't a part of the original series they actually created this character for uh the TV series to give penguin basically uh, a fierce nemesis and so you know someone he could you know kind of rise and and fall with throughout the series so but yeah she's this this fierce female gangster who you know, um, nobody really knows her background, mm-hmm. um, where she's come from. I've created my own kind of background story for her yet, but I think that some of that is going to get revealed this season. Now she's on her second life, and she always she ended up under <laughs> stuck up under Arkham with Doctor Strange. Shout right. out, shout out to B D Wong because he gave us mad love last week. We love him, and um, oh, that's he's so awesome. <laughs> Every time she shows up, she wreaks havoc. So what are you looking forward to most in this season? I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of havoc she's going to wreak. I mean, in the first two episodes, the first two episodes are very interesting and very exciting for me um, in regards to the possibilities of what what kind of damage Fish Mooney could – what more havoc she could wreak mm-hmm. uh, in, in Gotham. <laughs> so I don't want to give too much away, but she definitely has a plan. It's a fierce one. So I'm waiting to see the wardrobe too. You know, it's pretty much she, this year she pretty much has just the, that one costume for now. But I think once she gets on her feet, she's going to get back into the swing of things in regards to her gear. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that gear up. <laughs> yeah, she's going to have to get that, get that gear up for sure. Now, Jada, I have to ask you this because I have never known you to just do one thing. I also know you have a girl trip coming up with Queen Latifah. And yeah. two of our Black Girl Nerd friends are also involved, Malcolm Lee and Will Packer. How's that going? Yeah. Oh, it, it went well. We just finished um, about... A week ago. It's a very funny movie. We got to also star in the movie with Regina Hall and a, a really talented comedian, Tiffany Haddish. Oh, um, she's a friend of ours too. Oh, really? I love Tiffany. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Tiffany's awesome. Tiffany's awesome. And she's just hilarious in this movie. I think it's really going to. You know, it's it's going to pop. Like, people who don't know who she is will know who she is after this movie. And 
but it, it was a lot of fun. It was definitely a lot of fun to be able to work with those brilliant women and, and to work with Malcolm and, and Will Packer is absolutely awesome. And so we had a great time. Yes. And hopefully when you get five minutes, if you have a half five minutes, go back into our archives and you can listen to our interviews with Tiffany, with Malcolm and with Will. We had a really good time with them. They were really amazing guests. Yeah, they're awesome people. So that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) So what's Girl Trip about? It's basically about four women who've been friends since college who, you know, through the years have kind of lost contact with each other and they take this trip together. It's a trip to the Essence Festival that they used to do annually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been five years since they've done it together. And so they come together to go on this trip. And it's just basically about them trying to rekindle their friendship, but also try to support each other through all the personal trials that they're going through in life. It sounds amazing. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so you're returning comedy. back to your comedic roots. Yes, indeed. I think I'm going to be doing more of that in the, you know, just, I cut my teeth on um, Bad Moms, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a smaller role. And then with Girls Trip, I decided to do something a little bigger. And so then I think I'm just going to kind of keep on that comedy train for a little while. You said you cut your teeth on Bad Moms. Come on. You got to go back to Shane. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, well yeah, but that was so long ago. So, so what I mean by cut my teeth, because it's been so long since yeah. I've done a comedy, and, and it is a different muscle. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Comedy is definitely a different muscle, and it wasn't a muscle that I've exercised in a while. And so bad moms, what I mean by cutting my teeth, was like it was, you know, I got to work with some great comedians, but it was no pressure, and I just mm-hmm. got to come in, do a little something, and, and dip out. Um, and I was like, okay, I think I think I'm ready to do something more. And so, Girls Trip came around, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is kind of what I'm talking about right here. So, kind of getting back into that comedic flow. Thank you so much for holding it up to, for the 40 and over crew. You look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you're doing incredible work. I'd like to ask if there's anything you'd like to contribute or say, speak specifically to our black girl nerds, especially our young women. You know, just um, I would just say, you know, as as black women, we just can never forget our, our beauty and our power. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that it's it's it can be difficult sometimes in this world with the messaging that we are given through music or even through, you know, different media platforms. But, you know, we can never forget that black girl magic, you know, and and staying connected to it in any way possible. You know, we all have to find different ways in which we can stay connected to the beauty and the the power within ourselves. And I would just say just, just keep doing that, looking in the world for, you know, those things, that information, those people that constantly remind you of your beauty and your power versus, you know, us kind of um, giving in to those energies or or the information or the imagery that that Mm -hmm. diminishes us. And so I just want to tell all my sisters out there that I love you. You know, I truly never forget how beautiful we are and how powerful we are, how intelligent we are, how much we have to offer to this to this planet. My wish is that every woman is reminded of that and, and believes that in herself. So that's it. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jada Pinkett Smith. That was very nice speaking to you. Have a great day. You do the same. Bye bye.
Lovey is an award-winning writer, speaker, and digital strategist who lives at the intersection of comedy, technology, and activism. She's notably known for her 13-year-old blog called Awesomely Lovey. It's a humor blog that covers everything in pop culture from TVs to movies and technology, travel, race, as well as life's random adventures. However, she's got a new book out, her first book, in fact, called I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual. It was released this month and is currently available wherever books are sold. Check out this one-on-one interview with Lovey and KB. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I am your host, KB, and today I am really, really excited to be joined by an activist, digital strategist, a veteran blogger, comedian, techie, media personality, Red Pump Project founder, and author, Lovey. How are you? (laughs) Man, (laughs) I'm good. I'm really good. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thank you so much for joining the show. We really, really appreciate it. So let's just Let's just dive in. So just tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, what you were doing before you started this massive blog and how did you transition? I was doing marketing for nonprofits full time because my professional background is in marketing and communications. So it's what I love to do. It's a gift of mine. But here's the thing is I've been blogging since college. Oh, really? I've been blogging for 13 years at this point. So I started blogging in college as a hobby because I was peer pressured into doing it. People were like, hey, you should get a web blog. And I was like, sure. And I started writing online and writing about my college life. And then I graduated from college, deleted that blog and started what is now awesomelylovey.com. And that was 10 years ago. That's incredible. Yeah, it's really, really incredible. So, so far, you know, kind of what's been the most incredible, mind blowing, kind of ridiculous experience in your career and life thus far? Honestly, this year I've had a bunch of them like so it's hard to pick. So I would say one of them is when I got to interview Oprah Winfrey on the own studio lot about her show while holding the own microphone. (laughs) That was amazing because I'm I got to interview the best interviewer on the planet. Right. And we had a moment. So that's probably top two. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> What's another one maybe that you had this year? Because you said you had a lot this year. I've had a lot this year. This year, I feel like Forrest Gump this year. Like <laughs> I end up in all these amazing rooms and I'm like, holy smokes. I would say another is when I got to moderate a panel. Actually, it happened the same week. It happened the day after each other. <laughs> that was a really good week. It was. So I got to moderate a panel at the White House for the U.S. State of Women Conference. And the panel had Shonda Rhimes on it and Gloria Steinem and Sanaa, who runs marketing for Marvel and the head of Diversity Dropbox. That was the same week. Yeah. Yeah. So basically that week you got to interview all of the women that I admire, basically, in one week. (laughs) And I actually got to like Amy Poehler walks up to me and was like, oh, hey, I got your book. I can't wait to to, to read it. So, yeah, same week. 
Right, right. You're like, yeah, this is pretty much the best week ever. Like, I'm not even sure that I could top this if I tried. <laughs> exactly. That is incredible. So so let's talk about the blog just a little bit more. So, you know, your blog has a lot of humorous components, uh, but you also discuss a lot of social issues, a lot of, uh, you know, racial injustice issues currently happening. And so I guess when did you know it was necessary for you to use your platform to speak out about this? My blog has always just been me. It's been my voice. It's been my thoughts. It's been my opinions. So my blog has evolved with me. It's grown with me. And the things that I pay more attention to are reflecting in the content that I write about. My blog is a humor blog, but no matter what it is I cover, whether it's why Spirit Airlines is the worst or whether it's, you know, <laughs> police brutality, there's going to be something you take away from it that makes you laugh a little bit. And even if it's you're laughing in irony. I think it's really important for people to use their platform to make the world better. Because I really think that if we if we were more obligated to improve this world, it would be way better than it currently is. You know what? I think that that's very true. And I think that I wish the younger generation kind of had a, a better sense of that. Like, I feel like I have a bunch of younger sisters and I just feel like I'm always talking to them about, please stay engaged, please stay alert, like, please know what's actually going on so that you are able to be a part of the change and really make a difference. Because I think now too, you know, sometimes the younger kids, they don't get it, but I'm like, ooh, you'll get to my age and you'll realize, like, it's really, really important kind of how you use your voice in, in the world before it's all said and done, for sure. Yeah, to be a little bit more gentle with them. I think when we were that age, we also weren't this. That's we weren't too. paying attention. So it took us a bit for us to also come into our own and understand what's happening around us. So I'll give, you know, the teenagers that credit. I think in like 10 years, they'll be the one having a conversation with other people. So it's kind of this weird cycle of teenagers are really selfish, really into themselves. Very true. <laughs> but then, I mean, there's a lot of growth that happens, too. I think once you go to college and you start to exactly. be in an environment that like really stretches you in a lot of different ways. And mm -hmm. so I think that's when when you start having those interactions with new types of people and you start getting into these types of discussions then I really do think that it it kind of opens you up a little bit more. And so uh, you really become who you who you are, I think. Oh, it absolutely does. Like the person I was when I started college was different from who I was at the end. My politics had changed my the way I thought about life in general had changed. The way I thought about race had changed. So college and just being in that intellectual environment really does make a huge difference. It absolutely does. So um, I've actually had a chance to preview a little bit of the book. And it's yes. really, really good. And I'm so excited for you. Um, this is a really, really interesting book. And so, you know, it's going to be released on September 13th. So, you know, really just tell me about the process. And like, when did you come up with the concept for this book and finally start writing? So my book is called I'm Judging You, the Do Better Manual. And I came up with the concept two years ago because somebody had plagiarized something that I wrote and they had said, oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. And I was stunned, like, oh, did some of us not get a limited edition handbook on how not to be shitty people? <laughs> and I was like, wait, I could write that. So basically, that's what I wrote. And I called it I'm Judging You because I'm judging all of us, including myself, in this collection of essays and I'm basically saying that I'm turning the mirror on us I, I consider this book to be the good angel that's sitting on your shoulder <laughs> <laughs> that's telling you hey you should probably get it together 
like, hey, you should probably try a little bit harder. You probably shouldn't do that. Like, we're probably a bit too old for this. Exactly. You're too old for that or you have too much sense for that. And and the other token is we're hard on ourselves on things we're not even supposed to be that hard on ourselves about. You know, like we'll be hard on ourselves about, oh, my God, I gained five pounds. And then but we will be the same people who then judge somebody for looking different. So we hustle backwards in that way. That's definitely, definitely true. And I'm glad that you said that because it it. You know, the older that you get, the more that you're like, all right, it is time for me to stop being so hard on myself, like really accept who I am and really move forward in like my passion and my purpose for my life. So like that makes total sense. And then the, the more freeing it is for your relationships, too, that you have, like with your friends, with your family, it just is so much better (laughs) for sure. I agree. And I, I also think that if we made it a point to pay attention to how we're treating other people as opposed to always beating ourselves up. Mm-hmm. We might get somewhere. Oh, yeah. The world might change for the better. For the better. <laughs> so, I mean, just like your blog, the book is hilarious. Like, it has a lot of humor in it. It's really funny. But there's also a, a really kind of deeper layer of accountability, right, for this generation right now. So what do you want your readers to walk away with ultimately? I honestly want everyone to... to read this book and as they read it they're they're not in their heads because either they see themselves in it or they see somebody they know in it <laughs> and in different chapters you'll be picturing somebody in your life and you'll be like yup they can de- mm-hmm, that's that person and i kind of want people to walk away understanding that one none of us are perfect and we all have room for improvement whatever that looks like and two it's really important for us to actually be conscious about the space we take up in this world and how we leave it. I mean, my last chapter is called do something that matters for this very reason. Yeah. It is so important. I think to realize that our time here is really limited and we think that we have a lot of time, but in actuality it goes by so fast. So like we really, really need to be paying attention to what we put out in the world and what we really want our legacy and our story to be when we move on. So I do like, and not to give too much away, but I do like that you touch on that just a little bit when you start talking about your funeral and (laughs) all the things that you want and who's not invited. Like (laughs) I was definitely (laughs) cracking up. Like, Oh, I'll be be petty. I'll be petty from, from beyond the grave because I'm just petty for a living. So, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, just make sure you check names at the door. Like, <laughs> exactly. Check names at the door. Make sure somebody I don't like don't get in. I'm that person. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, clearly you don't hold back. And I think it's really important that just us as women, especially women of color, really feel comfortable and confident in, in speaking their truth, whatever that may be, and really speaking their minds. So how long did it really take for you to cultivate this in yourself? Or were you just always really transparent and honest? I've always been this person. People who knew me in high school were like, you're still the same person. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's always been me. People talk about you know how I created the voice I have. Honestly, it's just been me. And it was never really an act. So when people read my blog and they know me in real life and they say, I actually heard your voice as I read this, that's the ultimate compliment because it tells me that I'm living truly as myself. Right. Right. And so you are just really saying things that are in your head. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) 
So you're really just talking to everyone like, no, this is really what I think about this situation. No holding back. <laughs> okay, I'll even give you an example. Like, I'm <laughs> I'm good for talking about people who wear terrible shoes. <laughs> like, you know, where their toes are hanging over and whatever. Oh, gosh. Like, and the shoe is, like, three sizes too small. And you're like, why did you buy that? Why did you spend your you money? You buy that. Or, like, the people who <laughs> don't dress for the weather. And you're just like, come on, dude. <laughs> So like we were, I was at a party a couple of days ago, no, a couple of weeks ago at a day party, and it's like Chicago, it's 85 degrees, it's a nice sunny Sunday, and this dude walks in wearing a black waffle jacket. What? That is zipped <laughs> up to his neck. He zipped it up to his neck. Not only are you wearing a basically a bubble coat in the summertime, you zipped it all the way up. So like me, and my friends were talking about it, and I was like, you know what? No, I have to ask him. <laughs> So I walked up to him and was like, so I have a question. Can you explain to me why you are wearing a jacket that is zipped up to your neck and it's 85 degrees outside? And he was so stunned that I even asked him that. <laughs> he was like, um, well, you know, it's not that hot. It's not that hot outside today. I was like, it's definitely hotter than what you have on right now. <laughs> like this jacket is actually taking your core body temperature up a solid 20 degrees. Right. I was like, dude, you look uncomfortable. And he ends up being like, I mean, it's not that bad. I only have on a tank top under there. I was like, that's still crazy. You just insist on wearing this. He must have been so hurt about it because he came to one of my friends was like, see, I unzipped my jacket. <laughs> so I feel like I have done my duty as a citizen of the world. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I just, but also, like, it's also very odd that he just wore a tank top underneath. Like, you knew it was warm. Yeah! Girl! <laughs> tell me something. But you know what? <clears throat> I feel like when people insist that this is the outfit they're gonna wear, they're gonna do it anyway. Yes, yeah. Even if it's not appropriate for the weather. Like, you could tell he was like, this jacket, I'm ready. Yeah. Like, it was just time for him to wear the jacket. Like, he'd been waiting all week. He ain't care. Like, he ain't oh. care what the weather was. He wasn't concerned with the weather or how hot it was. He was like, no, no, no. This jacket is coming with me. And I'm going to wear it today. And he did. And I was like, you know what? Okay. <laughs> but only you would go up to him and say, why are you wearing this jacket? My friend, and we were in a group chat. She was like, you guys, lovey's the worst. And I was like, what? If I have the, if I say it, while I'm talking to somebody else about it, I could definitely say it to the person who it's about. That's one hundred. <laughs> that's one hundred percent true. Like if I'm already telling someone else, then I might as well tell you. Like I might as well tell you. So yeah, people always know where they stand with me. Yep, always, always honest. <laughs> I definitely say the same thing at work, so I understand. Like I'm like you guys will never have to wonder how I feel. Like, I <laughs> right. Tell you one, that. I have no poker face. That's my first problem. I have zero poker face. My f feelings are always written on my face. So, yeah, That's first expressions as it all. <laughs> it does. So, you know, speaking of high school, you just mentioned that your friend was like, man, you're the same as you were in high school. So what did you <laughs> actually want to be when you were in high school? Like when you were 15, what did you want to be? And now what words of wisdom would you have for your 15 year old self? When I was 15, I wanted to be a doctor. Oh, so did I. Look how I things did. change. <laughs> and then I went to college and got the first D of my career in chemistry. And I was like, you know what? Was it, was it organic chemistry? Girl, just regular ass chemistry 101. Because <laughs> I was about to say, that's me. Effort. I actually made an effort. And I was so butthurt. And I had to have a come to Jesus moment with myself. And I was like, you know what? 
I don't even like hospitals. <laughs> Why am I going to be a doctor? I don't even like hospitals. So I gave up that dream. <laughs> and the funny thing is, it's like, so for me, it was organic chemistry. And I got a D. I was like, hmm, looks like I need to change some things. Like, and I was like, you know what? You don't even want to treat patients. Like, why would you exactly. be a doctor? Why would you waste your time doing this? Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, no, no, this doctor thing is not working. And I didn't even tell my family that I dropped the pre-med in my major because I came in as psychology pre-med. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I dropped that pre-med so quick. <laughs> they were like, oh, so what are you going to do now? You were like, not go to med school? <laughs> exactly. That ain't happening. But they were fine. so then what words of wisdom would you have for your 15 year old self now like i mean any quotes from your book any life tidbits what would you give you old me i would tell her i would tell her that she's a writer because it took me a while to accept it it probably took me too long to accept it and because i i didn't i took for granted my my gift wow And so when, you know, was it college when you started that first blog that you really started to accept your gift a little bit more? Nah, (laughs) I I was even a columnist for the school paper and I still wasn't like, oh man, I'm a writer. No, really, I just thought, I just like to write, but I didn't call myself a writer. And so, you know, did you, I mean, like once the blog, the newly launched version came out and it was like a big hit. Did you really start calling yourself a writer then? No. Oh my gosh, really? No, I did, I probably didn't start calling myself a writer until like 2013. Really? I mean, that's yes. wow. So like three years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would call myself a blogger, but I didn't own the writer piece because every blogger is not a writer. And that's very true. Yeah. But it took me a while to like accept it. Aside from your book, because I know that this is your baby and, you know, you put a lot of heart and soul into it. But what is another one of your favorite pieces that you've written just as a writer? Man, I would say stages of what happens when there's injustice against black people. That piece gets shared a lot whenever somebody else gets killed because I talk about the cycle of of injustice. I talk about how, so one, the person gets killed. Two, media drags their name through the mud. Three, so it's, it goes on. And, and it's interesting because I wrote this t- over two years ago and it's still spot on. Still happening. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Well, um, you know, we touched on this just a little bit, but you've worked really hard to build this incredible brand. So when you die and before you start checking the guest list at your funeral, what do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be somebody who spoke truth to power, even when it was difficult, who said the things that other people would not say, who always just was completely honest and <laughs> transparent and vulnerable, but also that would just give people a swift kick if they needed a little bit. <laughs> yes, for sure. Well, that is awesome. So just tell our listeners, you know, what's next and what other fun projects are in the works. We know the book is being released on September 13th. So what else other fun projects do you have coming down the pipeline? 
honestly, this fall is going to be dedicated to this book, especially since I'm going on a many city. I can't even say 10 because I think it's going to exceed 10, a many city tour stop that starts on September 13th. So this fall, I will be the person who is running from airport to airport. <laughs> so if y'all see me looking tired and with sunglasses on, you will know why. <laughs> Well, please, please, you know, let me know when your New York City date is. I would love to come and just, you know, if you're stopping in New York, (laughs) perhaps. Yeah, my launch is actually in New York and I'm doing three back to back to back events in New York. The first two are sold out right now, but there's one on um, September 15th that her agenda is doing that still has tickets. So, yeah. So, yes, that is so great. Well, please, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to, you know, finishing my copy of the preview for sure. It's been a great read so far, and I'm looking forward to everyone really getting to to experience it. So please just tell our listeners where they can find you on the Internet. I am so easy to find all over these interwebs. I am lovey everywhere. So L-U-V-V-I-E on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and my book, I'm judging you book.com is where you can go find places for you to order. One, it's actually available everywhere books are sold, but there's also my book tour dates are listed there. So if I'm stopping in your city and the event is not sold out yet, I would love to see you. I'll be signing every book. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And, you know, we'd love to have you back anytime you have anything else coming up. And this was just really wonderful. You are hilarious. Thanks so much. Indeed. Charlie Cox is an English actor known for roles such as Tristan Thorne in Stardust and Owen Slater in the second and third seasons of HBO's Boardwalk Empire. However, you know him best as playing the role of Matt Murdock in Netflix's Daredevil. Daredevil, now in its second season, has gotten rave reviews, and Charlie Cox has an intimate panel with all of the attendees over at Dragon Con and discusses his role on the show, the impact that this show has had on audiences, and there are some questions from audience members about his appearances and possibly some future Avengers movies. So take a listen and enjoy this segment with Charlie Cox of Daredevil fame. Raging Bull, uh, it's a midnight run, it's like, it's like two different humans. Um, but he's a, my experience with him, he's a very kind, very sweet, quite shy man, and um, very committed and wanted to rehearse a lot, and just a true professional and a gentleman, and, and it was just an honor to, to, to have time with him. Um, and something that I'll never, my whole life I'll never forget, one of the great memories of my life. Um, but being, you know, quiet and keeping to himself, in those early first few days we were filming, when we hadn't done the scene that you referenced, which is, of course, him dancing in a, in a dress with makeup, I remember thinking, huh, I wonder how that day is going to go. <laughs> you know, like, I wonder what that's going to look like. And then, and then what was really funny, you know, we did it, and it was, a, it was kind of, you know, I, kind of, it was, I was in a blackout place, and it was just so funny, you know. It was so funny to watch, and, um, and uh, but when we had some when we had some early screenings of the film, so people had no idea what was coming. You know, no reviews had been out. It was just early screenings. 
you know, people would, I remember like, when that, when that reveal happens, <laughs> people were like, people were like yelping in the movie theater. And then at the end of, what was funny is at the end of the film, like people were laughing and like talking about how amazing it was, and other people hated it. <laughs> like, like true Raging Bull fans were like, no, that's not okay. That is not okay. <laughs> you know, people, some people were offended by it. Next question. Uh, first of all, thank you for coming, Charlie. Um, we're all happy to, uh, that you can make it out here, and I'm sure I speak for everyone in this room for thank you for being an awesome daredevil. That's, that's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my question is: um, We've all heard rumors and. Curious if you could shed some light on this, if you can, um, if you're obligated by studios not to say anything that's okay. But uh, are you excited for and will we see you in Avengers Infinity War? Oh. <laughs> Again, really easy. <laughs> Question to answer. I, I'm very excited for it. And, um, you know, I have. The answer is no. I have no idea. Um, it, it would that would be a, a dream come true for me. It would be awesome to be involved in any way. I've I've, I've made it clear that I'll I'll play a tree <laughs> in any of those films. Um, you know, I, I I have to say I just think what Marvel. You know, when Marvel started when Marvel started making their own movies. When they started being the production company behind the movies they make, they just get it right. They just, you know, like from the Iron Man's to Thor's to the, you know what I mean? They're just such good movies. Um, you know, and, I, and recently I, you know, I saw the poster for Guardians of the Galaxy, and I was like, nah, that's, that's not for me. That's not, you know, there are, there are people with multicolored skin on them. It's not my, it's not my thing. I love that film. Yes. How good was that film? Um, and so, you know, it would be an honor to be involved in, 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 the, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in any way. But, I, I, but also, I'm really, really happy doing the, doing the job that I'm doing for, with Netflix right now. I love the show, and, what's, and I love being on it, and I can't wait to see what happens with Defenders. I'm a, I'm a very happy customer, you know what I mean? And so, um, and it, what's great about it is I, I do love, from, a, from an actor's point of view, from a storytelling point of view, having those 13 hours is for me is, is, is more rewarding. You know, you really get to, you get to lead people down a certain path for two, three, four episodes, and then suddenly, you know, and then suddenly throw a curveball in there and come back in a different direction, you know. I, you know, I, I love that they, you know, in season one, for example, I love that we, in the first episode of the show, we meet Karen Page. So all Daredevil fans out there are thinking, ah, oh, there's the love interest, and then suddenly, Claire Temple's in the picture, and they're, they're coming close, and, and so nothing is, you know what I mean, we can, nothing is set in stone, nothing, even if you're the most avid Daredevil fan and have read every single comic, you don't, I bet you got a shot when Ben Urich died, <laughs> do you know what I mean, and as, as gutting as that was, as awful as that was to see, because A, what a great character, and B, Rondi Curtis Hall just did such a wonderful job with, with him, I think. Um, you know, it's, if you're making a show and you need, you want the real fans to feel the drama, you have to throw a curveball in there every now and again, um, so that people, you know, don't know what's coming. 
to build on to what you were asking about being a part of the cinematic universe, I want to flip the script. Any of them would be honored to be part of the Netflix family because you guys have carved out brilliant television for fans. You know, and that's, that, you know, the shout out there is to Netflix and Marvel, you know, for that collaboration, Jeff Lowe. Marvel, my boss, is, is, you know, he had a vision and, you know, when, when they cast Finn, Finn Jones as um, Iron Fist, he sent, Jeff sent an email to me, Mike Coulter, Kristen Ritter and, 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 and uh, Finn just saying, welcome guys, this is the team. And I, you know, my, my response was, congratulations, this is what you've been dreaming and talking about for a few years now. And it's, it's happened very quickly, but, you know, it's an extraordinary achievement. Um, and then all of the many amazing folks at Netflix. I mean, what they're doing is kind of unparalleled. You know, they've they've changed the game. Yes, um, they have. And they've and also they've. Not many people talk about this, but they've changed the game in terms of television, in terms of writing television. Because whereas before, when you wrote when you wrote a television show, um, and this is something we talked about a lot before, but when you write a television show, you have one of the things you have to consider is you have to remind to remember people haven't seen the show for a week. And they're not going to see another episode for another week. So you need to remind them constantly of what's happened. You know, because one hour is easy to forget in the course of a week. And then you've also got to, you've got to make a really special ending at the end of an episode to keep people coming back the following week. And unfortunately, it, it's often, it's a little bit clunky. It's not always that true to, to life. Because not every hour of life ends with some dramatic, almost death scenario kind of thing. <laughs> And so with Netflix, because people don't watch, people don't consume it in the same way they do, you know, they watch three, four episodes, they watch it as they feel they want to, they watch as many episodes as they want, or until they pass out. <laughs> and, uh, and as a result, the writers don't feel like they have to be confined to a certain kind of format that they're used to, and they can just write 13-hour movies um, and trust the audience to, to recap what they need. Yes, I totally agree. And now if we can just get word up to the executives to get rid of that annoying, are you still watching? Of course we are! What's that? When you watch Netflix for a few episodes, it'll be like, hey, are you still watching oh, this? <laughs> and it stops everything until you find your remote, and yes, I'm still watching. And so the bit is when the episode, the episode ends, and it goes, your next episode will start in 10 seconds. And you're like, oh, where's the... No, no, I can't do no. Yeah, and you try to find, and then it, and then it's like, Who is your favorite person that you've had a chance to work with? And then the second part is, 
who's the person as a fan that you were most excited to meet on one of your projects? Cool, great questions. Great questions. Um, so I've talked, I've talked obviously a little bit about Robert De Niro, and, I, I, and, and this doesn't eclipse that, but I'll just tell you a very quick story. So I, um, I wanted to be an actor, and I left school, and I didn't really know how to make that happen. And I was applying to drama school, I wanted to go to drama school in the UK. And in the process of applying, I, got, I, 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 found, I got an agent, and the agent got me my first film role. And I did a small little film that most of you wouldn't have, wouldn't have seen called Dot the Eye. But it had two unknown actors in it, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal and Tom Hardy. Yeah. Um, and Tom Hardy and I played brothers. And, um, and I, then, I then went to, um, to drama school. And um, at the time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go, or because I'd, I'd now had a, I'd had a job and I had an agent. And my agent very wisely said, you know, I think it's being an actor for a long time requires training. You should go. So I, um, I went to drama school, and it was kind of a bit of a shock to the system because, uh, you know, I'd been on a film set and, you know, I had all those exciting feelings. And, and then suddenly I was back in, in a, in, I was in Bristol a couple of hours outside London and, you know, kind of a student all over again and, you know, trying to save a few quid to, to eat them at the weekends and, you know, trying to wait tables at night and all that kind of stuff. And trained to be an actor, and I kind of felt like I already was one. <laughs> and um, at the end of the first year, it was a three-year course. And at the end of the first year, the um, we got given our parts for the for the first play of the second year, and we were doing the nativity play. We were going to do a tour of the West Country in the UK of the nativity play, and I was going to be one of the shepherds. Um, and my job through the summer was to learn the flute because the shepherds had to play. Flute. So me and these two other guys, we had to learn how to play the flute. And I'm not talking like very tricky stuff, I mean, it's, do you know what I mean, it's really simple stuff. And on the first day of the summer holidays, I had this audition for a movie, um, a Shakespeare film, with Al Pacino in it. And I went to the audition and it kind of went okay, and they, they said that they might want to have me back. And then a week later they said, okay, they would have me back, and, uh, and I had a recall like two, two weeks later. And I, in my mind, I kept saying, I'll learn the flute when I don't get that job. <laughs> and I had a couple of recalls, and I did a screen test. And then, you know, like, it felt like months would go by between me. Like, it felt like the most drawn-out process in the world. And I don't know how this quite happened, but the next thing I know, it's the day before school. And I'm sitting in my, my student apartment, and I'm just thinking, oh, I'm in so much trouble. I hadn't learned a single thing on the flute. Um, and I was just panicking. Uh, and I knew that the next day we had the first rehearsals for this, for this nativity play. And the phone rang. And I got the job. And I just, and the different, it was just being, gearing up to go back to, to drama school and be a student and do the nativity play with the recorder. And two days later, I was on set with Dal Al Pacino. <laughs> and it was just, it, it was like one of the mo most surreal, coolest moments of my life. Um, and I felt very blessed, and uh, I did not miss my classmates one minute. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever learn to play the flute? Never learned to play the flute. <laughs>
Then no, that's okay. That'll bite me in the arse one day. There'll be some, uh, Christopher Nolan will make some movie and he'll be like, listen, the part's yours, you can play the flute, right? Hey, Charlie. Hey, buddy. I'm Michael. Hi, Michael. Nice beard. Thank you very much. Yes. Awesome. Okay, I think I'm good now. I can sit down. So, when we see you with the Avengers, I really want you to make Spider-Man look like a fool. Because Daredevil is the best. And you embody him so well. But seriously, here's my question. I love the chemistry that y'all have. And like, probably one of my favorite moments in all fictional land things is when you and Fisk are talking while he's incarcerated. Yeah. And it's like, it's emotionally gripping, it's physically like just crazy. What was that like? Yeah. <laughs> the Griffiths, it's not for you. So good. Yeah. That was, uh... you know, Vincent has kind of become a friend of mine. Um, and uh, he's, a, he's, you know, he's just, he's everything you could want in a, in a, in a, you know, an, an American icon. You know, he's a gentleman, he's incredibly prepared and interesting and always makes bold, fun choices with his work. Um, and as I say, we've, we've kind of become friends. It doesn't take away from the fact that he's a, he's a force to be reckoned with. Both as an actor and a, and a person, you know, he's a big guy and he's, he's, you know, he's got this body of work behind him which is very intimidating and, and so I don't really have to act much <laughs> in those scenes, do you know what I mean, like, you know, we'll have a, a good laugh in between, but when the cameras roll, you know, when we're getting ready, it's, it's all business, you know, um, and what I remember about that, about that, what I remember about that day is we rehearsed it. Um, it's a, you know, I speak for a long time and then he speaks for a long time, so it's not so much back and forth. And so I, I feel like we did a lot of my stuff first. You know, we we did all we did a lot of that and we did the wide shot stuff. Um, and you know he was doing he was doing Fisk and it was and it was brilliant. And then they came in for his close up, and I and I I overheard him say to the director, um, "Listen, just don't cut. I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna do it necessarily at you know in one go, but just don't cut and you'll you'll get everything you need." And I remember thinking, I, I don't really know what that meant, but okay. Um, you know, anyway, the, you know, they called action, and he kind of went through the speech in bits, maybe three or four times. He, he hit every moment, maybe three or four times. But he went to a different place, you know, like I, and, and, you know, at one point, I remember, he walked away from the room and then came back in and continued. Um, and I don't know what 
what that what that what that process was like for him internally, but what I know was was that it was brilliant. <laughs> and it was terrifying. <laughs> um, and I, I, I learned, I, you know, I, I walked away from that day thinking I'd learned more about acting in that in that one scene, one, one take, than I probably had in the rest of my career put together. You know, so shout out for Vincent D'Onofrio, what a talent. <laughs>
doubt into his mind, then he's probably then he, he's probably doomed. It's the kind of single purpose. It's the it's the it's the arrogant um, uh, belief that he's invincible. Um, that allows him to be as effective as he is. And what's, what's crazy is, in a weird way, that's also his greatest vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as he continues to survive, as he goes through more and more of these encounters and has these near-death experiences and, and, and then actually comes out, comes through that, that is only going to feed this belief that, he, that he's invincible. And that's where the danger's going to lie. Well, what I loved, what I thought, what I loved about season, the end of season two, um, what the writers did was Matt. Although you know, although he he survives it, he kind of fails. He does, you know, he doesn't succeed at the end of season two in the way that he does at the end of season one. You know, in season two, one, he gets the guy. You know, the guy, the one guy he was after goes away, and the city may not be perfect, but it's well, it's better off than it was with this Wilson Fisk out there. At season two, he's left on the on a rooftop holding the woman he believes, one of the women he believes he loves, um, dead, and having, ultimately having failed. Um, and so, which I think, I think probably, and I don't know this, uh, <laughs> question, but probably leads really well into the defenders. Because I think what, what will happen now from that, what's probably since the end of Dead or Season 2, the beginning of Season of, of The Defenders, he's probably finally conceded that he probably he needs a little help. <laughs> that was a great question. Next one. My question is very much acting based. Um, when you're acting, essentially, I'm sure you know this, you know, you maintain a lot of eye contact in, in shows, plays, things like that, but playing a blind character. You know, you feed off a lot of emotion when you're looking at somebody in the eyes. How do you do that? And how difficult was that for you to break that, to kind of have to, you know, raise yourself out, but also take in everything? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a, this is, it's been really, really fascinating, really fun, and also probably the biggest challenge for me um, on the show. Um, and in, in ways that I did not anticipate. Um, so, I worked with a I worked with a, with a gentleman named Joe Stretchy who's been legally blind for 20 years. Um, I spent a lot of time with him. We walked through, we walked the streets of Manhattan. You know, I filmed him. I uh, I've asked him. He would do household chores. You know, he would he'd, he'd made a meal or he'd make a cup of tea or he'd walk around my apartment and I'd film him and filmed his eyes a lot and just tried to figure out what was. Um, what was going on, but also how, how best to commit that to camera. Um, and uh, that would kill Matt Murdock. <laughs> and, you know, what I discovered was many things. One was, in order to have, in order to, for the eyes to appear lifeless, not inactive, dead, um, you, you have to. You have, what what Joe does is when I speak with Joe, when he talks to me, his eyes are looking to where the sound is coming from, so my mouth. Right, he looks around here. Um, unfortunately, on camera that doesn't read. It looks like if I tried that on camera and it didn't work. It looked like I was looking at, at him, at the other actors. Um, 
So I figured out that I have to basically, depending on where the camera is, I have to adjust where my eye line is. So if the camera is um, right close to the other actor, I have to look almost at their shoulder for it to read that, that it's off-center. And that will look like I'm looking towards them, but not in the, in the eyes. Um, if the camera's over here, a two-shot, sometimes it has to be, you know, it has to be even further afield. Um, so that's one aspect of it. The other tricky thing is, of course, when Matt is with someone who knows that he's their devil, i.e. Foggy in season, at the end of season one, season two, Electra, presumably Karen now, um, uh, he, would never, he would never have to do the things that he does in order to maintain the illusion that he's blind in the real world. So he would never have to find this glass on the table with his hands before picking it up. He would never have to feel his way around the office, for example. Um, uh, and, and, and if there's an object over here, and me, the actor, Charlie, is looking over here, he would never have to turn to see it to pick it up. But of course, me, Charlie, the actor, looking here, can't see it. <laughs> so there's a lot of times we have to redo it, a moment where I have to pick something up from here, and I, because Matt wouldn't do this. <laughs> You know what I mean? He would just grab it. Um, and so that's, that's been challenging and time consuming at times. Um, and then, like, there's been three or four occasions where I've had to sutra once, you know, you know uh, stitch up. Once was Electra and one was, um, was Claire Temple. And trying to speak in an accent, sew someone up and not look at it. <laughs> You know, not easy. <laughs> I imagine not. <laughs> you make it look effortless. I never even thought of it. Next question, please. Hi. Um, I was wondering which Avenger would need Nelson and Murdoch the most? Which one? Which Avenger would need Nelson and Murdoch the most? The legal services. Probably the Hulk. <laughs> so much talent, isn't it? Good question, though. Next one. Hi there. Hi, sorry. Um, so the scenes with John Bernthal as the Punisher, they were intense. He was really great as a Punisher this season. And I wanted to kind of ask how it felt in those moments with him in those in those really dark scenes. Dark, physically, or? <laughs> you Not mean like Matt knows the difference, but they were really dark physically. You mean dark tonally? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I saw, I saw that film Fury um, before they cast John Bernthal, and, uh, and I remember thinking, oh, that, that guy's dark. That's scary. So I was when they cast him, I was over the moon. I remember thinking, if that if if that's who they think is going to be the Punisher, I want to be in that show. You know what I mean? It was such a great, and I thought John just did a fantastic job, and I can't he wait did. to see the series, the Punisher series. Um, you know, it's, it's very similar to Vincent. You know, a true professional, uh, a delight. You know, lovely human being, and you know, intense. 
you know, and, and all business. And so when we, you know, when we would, that's the stuff that we did on the rooftop. We barely knew each other at that point, you know, and um, uh, you know the stuff. I mean, in episode three of season two, before the fight sequence, you know, that was three or four days while I was chained to a chimney, and, and it was just all, all conversation. Um, and uh, and um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know how to really how to say it other than to just kind of John's one of those actors that that brings out the best in every other actor. You know what I mean? You can't you can't get away with anything if you're working with John. He's so he's so um, uh, he's so present and he's so his his emotions are so visceral and he's so um, engaging that you you've got to be you just got to be in the scene with him, and 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 it will be beautiful. It will be amazing. But if you try and if you try and hide as an actor within a scene, he'll walk all over you. You know what I mean? He's he's that he's just one of those rare talents. I, I mean, I think John Burke, like Vincent, but John from my generation is one of the best. He's world class, um, and uh, uh, you know, so working with him is an absolute delight. As it is with with all of the actors on the show. But you know, I think there's 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 Playing the Punisher, playing Frank Castle, that's not easy, right? You know, and also playing Frank Castle with this Daredevil is it is was a tricky one because we all in the first season before we knew that Punisher would be in season two, before we even knew there would be a season two, we talked about Matt Murdock as one bad day away from being Frank Castle. That's true. You know, so to take that Matt Murdock with who's who's teetering on rage and. Who ends the f the first episode? You know, we see a daredevil. We see a Matt Murdock that unexpectedly knocks someone out and then continues to pump pummel them. To then have to find a place in that show for Frank Castle and make him as as badass. Thank you. <laughs> make him as badass as Frank Castle needs to be. That's a, that's an achievement. And and boy, did did uh, did John achieve it. So maybe for season three, he can carry you down a hallway for two minutes. <laughs> yeah, although I'm definitely right to <laughs> He said to me, before I picked him up, he was like, just to warn you, buddy, I'm a dead weight. <laughs> there you go, I'm kidding. Way to prep. <laughs> Next question. Uh, yes. Uh, and the thing that makes the Netflix series uh, really sparkle against the cinematic universe is the fact that you get uh, longer periods of time to flesh out the persons behind all the masks. And uh, I, I know that in Daredevil, uh, everybody enjoys the stairwells and the corridors and the butt kicking and everything like that. Uh, the thing that I enjoy is some of the more personal moments <laughs> where, where it's just you as, as Matt and Foggy and Karen sitting around the bar in the office trading jabs and things like that. Do you wish there were more moments like that in the show? I, I'm with you. I, that's some of my favorite stuff. Um, I don't know if I wish there were more because I think we, we get a lot of that in. We got a lot in in the first season. I mean, there's a lot of Matt going to church. You know, I mean, I, I remember when I read whatever, one of the first episodes, you know, Matt goes out, he beats a bunch of people up. And then he comes home and he's, there's a scene with him sitting in the apartment with the feelings 
And like, that, what a cool premise, what a cool idea to see a superhero sit with those feelings, to suddenly think about what goes on, what the, you know, the toll that it takes on your spirit, on your soul, to be engaging in that kind of violence, but doing it, believing it's for the greater good. I mean, that's so cool. I just think that that's to, to, that we can make a superhero show that has that element to it, I think for me is, uh, is um, what, was, what was the most exciting thing about this show. And that was evident to me when I read the first, before I got a job, when I read the first two episodes. I, you know, I read it in a, in, a, in a secure room at Disney, and I had a guy whose job was to watch me read it. And uh, I left that room and I sent an email to my agents and said, look, I'll, I'll play any part in this show. I think, you know, I think it's spectacular. Um, you know, and, and I remember thinking when I got the job, I remember thinking I have a, you know, maybe, it felt like a risk at the time, but I remember thinking I have an interesting opportunity here to play what is essentially a very badass superhero. Mm -hmm. But I, I get to play, at times I get to, we get to explore his vulnerabilities. And his, you know, what I love, you know, Matt, I, I thought, I've, you probably, some of you heard me speak before, well, no, I've said this before, but the thing that I had trouble with initially was this, the man without fear, this idea of the man without fear. Because if you're going to do a show that lasts 13 hours, 26 hours, and now more, as an actor, if you, if you don't have fear, you're not left with very much to play with. Because, because it's not, I don't think it's very interesting to see someone who is incapable of experiencing fear. It's particularly a superhero, right? Right. So, I decided that the man without fear is a, is a label that the public give Daredevil. They see what he does. They, they see him throwing himself off buildings and walking into rooms with 20, 30 people. And, and they label him as that guy's fearless. He's, the, he's got to be the man without fear. But for me, Matt Murdock has great fear. He, he's, he has all the feelings that we all have. You know, he, he, um, and I love it when we see Matt Murdock and I get like tongue-tied, tongue-tied, like I just did. <laughs> um, do you know what I mean? Like when he can't quite speak to Karen or he doesn't have the, part, the words to explain to Foggy how he feels about, how, about him and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I really wanted Matt to be someone who, who experienced fear, real fear like we all do. And then, he's a, and then by having that, he's able to engage in what I think is the greatest character, you know, human character attribute, which is courage. You know, he's, he's able to dig deep, find the bravery and the courage required to do what he believes he has to do. And then, as an audience member, we, we, we applaud it, I think. As an audience member, we go, man, that's, that's cool. You know, at the end of, and I think it's epitomized amazingly at the end of that, the, the, the fight scene at the end of season, episode two, season one. You know, he's so beat up. He almost died at the beginning of the episode. He can barely walk, but there's a little boy who's been kidnapped, and he and he grabs some some uh, some rope, which was an addition of Joe Casada's, the brilliant Joe Casada. Grabs some rope, wraps it around his fists. You know, he's been patched up by Claire, and he walks into that room. And because we've seen him bleeding out, and because we we've seen him that that the physically and emotional vulnerable side to him. When, you, when he walks in that room, hopefully as an audience member, you go, fuck, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to swear. <laughs> Before we wrap up with one final question, I wanted to ask you, in having the opportunity to play such an amazing superhero, 
how about you as a person, Charlie, is there a superhero power that you wish you had? Don't answer just now, we'll come back to it. Can we finish up this last question with a lovely lady? Hi, Charlie. Hi. Um, so my question's about your fight training. What sort of martial arts training did you have to go through in order to kind of develop your skills in the role? Great, great question. So, unfortunately, so the stunt coordinator and, and my stunt double, Chris Brewster, trained in numerous martial arts, and they have they, they know all the names. I don't really have time when we're shooting the show. I don't have time to rehearse the fight sequences prior to doing them, um, and I certainly don't have time to learn the individual names for these sequences. What I know is that they combine a bunch and then they just teach me what they look like. <laughs> so I know that there's some Kung Fu in there, there's some Muay Thai in there, there's some, there's some, you know, I can't, that's what I've got. Um, uh, I know that there's, and they tell me, they, sometimes they tell me at the time, oh, this is a really, this is a nice homage to, you know, there's, there's a really fun fight sequence, fight sequence, with um, uh, Electra in the boxing ring, when we, you know, the kind of flirty, scene and you know there's a moment where we go back and forth physically and then she looks at me and she says oh, Muay Thai or I say one of us does so I know that that was Muay Thai <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but you know it's re really it's a question of I, I, I turn up in the morning of the, of the scene and um, they show me the whole sequence and then we, 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 we go through it bit by bit and I can normally I'm quite quick at picking it up, so I can normally pick up sequences of between six and ten moves at a time. So we shoot that, and then we'll forget that, move on to the next bit, learn that, and shoot it. And at the end, you have a fight sequence, but um, I don't know the names. <laughs> Just very cool. Yes. So what would Charlie's superhero power be? Maybe, um, maybe in the interest of being a little bit different, maybe the, the power to, to, to heal myself and others. You know what I mean? To be able to regenerate. I'm not talking about you guys, I just want to live forever. So. Um, but you know, the, the obvious ones are flying. I mean, it's, I, I can't actually, I take it back, flying. It's never. It's so cool to fly, right? No holdups in airports when you can fly yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Charlie, on behalf of Dragon Con, I wanted to say thank you so very much for being here with us. Hey, guys, thanks. Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax. Various segments on all podcast episodes are edited by M.R. Daniel and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our podcast is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals used throughout podcast episodes are created by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find our shows on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. That was a HeadGum Podcast.